Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Is this new creation, new calling? New creation, new calling. I'm not sure about you, but there are some things that are just better new. How many of you like new? There are some things that are just better new. In fact, I think that we can all agree that getting something new is really nice, isn't it? Getting something new is nice, whether it be a new outfit or, or new sho- shoes. You know, oftentimes you got an event that's coming up, a wedding or a celebration or something like that. You say, oh, I have nothing to wear. Anybody ever said that before? Even though a closet full of clothes, I have nothing to wear. What are we really saying? I have nothing new to wear. I, I need a new outfit to wear, Right. And, and there's just something about getting new shoes. I remember when I, was, when I was a teenager, one of the things, I mean, shoes were just really big. I wanted new shoes. I love new shoes, especially new sneakers, new basketball shoes. I was really into playing basketball, loved basketball, and, and I wanted the new Air Jordans, right? You know why I wanted the new Air Jordans? Because I felt like I could jump higher. I could run faster. I was sharing with the students in, uh, in youth ministry a couple weeks ago that, you know, you had Air Jordan. I was Aaron, A-I-R-O-N. That was, if I played for the NBA, I wanted to be Aaron, Whoa, you know. Believe it or not, in my senior year of high school and, and early on in college, I could actually dunk the ball, believe it or not. So, there we go. Yeah, right? All right, come on. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> There's just something about new, and there are some things that you just don't want used. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you're kind of going to a garage sale and they got clothes that are out, there are certain clothes that you, that you don't want used. What I'm talking about is underwear. Nobody wants used underwear, right? I mean, that's just something. There are just certain things we don't want used. There are certain things you just, that's just not good. We, we like new. But then there are some of you that are super, super creative, and, and you're really good at taking things that are older and worn down and refurbishing them and making them new. New antique, antique furniture, and you can just go ahead and and make that thing look like it's brand new. Some of you are into antique cars, and you find a way to take something that I look at on the side of the road and go, oh, man, that needs a lot of work, and you turn it around, and it's beautiful. Making things new, old things new. Well, I share this because, friends, God delights in making things new. God delights in making things new. In fact, in this passage, there are two realities that we're going to see for every person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are two realities that I want you to consider, and Paul's going to unpack these two realities. The first reality is simply this. You are a new creation. You're a new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation what does that mean the old has passed away behold the new has come when we place our faith in christ something takes place a transformation takes place we become a new creation as i talked about last week we become born again we are a new 
creation. What does this mean? Well, the verses that surround help us understand a little bit of this idea of being a new creation. Let's look at verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God. <coughs> Excuse me. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, here's what's taking place. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, there's a lot in there, but how many of you know that in that short couple of verses, what is the word that is used over and over again? Reconciliation. God is reconciling. <coughs> what is reconciliation? In the Greek, it's the Greek word katalasso. Everybody say katalasso. Katalasso. I had, to, I had to actually look up how to say that. There's like a thing where you can sometimes put in the Greek and help you to pronounce it. Katalasso. And when it's used to describe people, it means to change from enmity to friendship. So in other words, we were enemies of God. I'm an enemy of someone, but I become a friend. I move from the status of being an enemy or in an enmity with you, against you, to now being a friend to you. From enmity to friendship. You see, the problem that exists, the biggest problem that we have between us and God is a sin problem. It is a trespasses problem. We have sinned against God. Therefore, because of our sin, a holy God cannot, we cannot be in relationship with a holy God. In fact, we're enemies of God. Hostility between us and God. Separated from God. That's, the, that's what exists. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was a sin nature that began to get passed down to every person. And by nature, we have a tendency to resist God's rule. The story of the Bible is a long story of our estrangement between us and God. In fact, Isaiah 59 2 puts it this way But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have literally hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Friends, we're natural-born enemies of God, separated because of our sin. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 describes it this way. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's our state without Christ. Without Christ, there is not one that is righteous. We are separated from God because of our sin. And then Paul says this, though, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. That's the good news. When you hear the word gospel, that's the gospel. That through Christ, because of what Christ has done, he has done the job of turning, away, turning around that enmity with God, that separation from God because of sin, and he has done the work of reconciling us back into a right relationship with God hostility with God. Listen, this was God's idea. 
Reconciliation with God, was God's idea. Whenever you have a conflict, and, and I, I don't know anybody in here that does not have a conflict with someone else, right? That's part of our world. We have conflict with people. Sometimes there's a conflict, and you try to work it out, but you can't work it out with the other person. Sometimes you need a, a third party. Oftentimes when marriages are in trouble, when marriages are battling and, and, and fighting, they need a, a marriage counselor, somebody to step in and help to try to navigate reconciliation between the husband and the wife as they're struggling in their relationship. Sometimes if there's businesses or business partners that are at, at odds, you need an attorney or someone to step in to try to help navigate whatever the conflict is and try to help bring a resolution or a reconciliation, a mediator who can bring it on common ground. But in this situation, in this case, God is the one who initiates the action. God is the one who reconciles us to himself. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21, a little bit later on, just a couple of verses down, says this, For our sake, what did God do? How did he reconcile us to himself? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the heart of the gospel message. This is foundational to everything that we as, as believers put our faith in and hope in. That God could just not overlook sin. God just can't overlook sin. He can't just say, well, it'll be okay. Grace is not overlooking sin. Mercy is not overlooking sin. Mercy is that God who is holy and God who is just, God who must do what is righteous, he is the righteous judge of all the earth, couldn't just overlook sin. Sin had consequences, and those consequences had to be paid. There was a penalty for sin that had to be paid. He would not be just if he did not rule justly and say, there is a penalty, and the penalty must be paid. So what did he do? In his love, he took his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and the ledger of sin that was ours, the ledger of sin debt that we had racked up, he placed on him who knew no sin, who's him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. He took that ledger of sin and he put it on him. And on the cross, Christ paid the price for our sin. He died so that we might live. And rather than, than us pay for our sin, Christ paid for our sin. And instead, what did we get? We got clothed in his righteousness. He paid our penalty and consequences. Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness so that when God looks, he does not see sin. He sees righteousness. That's grace. That's mercy. Him who knew no sin. This is quite the exchange, isn't it? That we, the guilty who are sinners, we, the ones with the ledger that have racked up the sin, we, we have the debt problem we can't pay back. We are the ones that deserve the punishment, and yet Jesus Christ took it for us. Wow. He took our guilt and our shame, and he exchanged it, and we become 
righteous. That's what it means to be a new creation. You are a new creation. How are you a new creation? Why are you a new creation? Because of what Christ did for you. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin. And and instead of that sin debt, you took on his righteousness. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, friends, you go from being guilty of trespasses to being forgiven of trespasses. You go from being separated from God to being reconciled to God, and that changes everything. We're new. We've been in right relationship with God. We've become a new creation. Those old things in our past, our past is gone, and we become new in Christ Jesus. We're no longer an enemy of God, but we can... Sing that wonderful chorus that I love. I am a friend of God, right? I am a friend of God. That's the work that was done in Christ Jesus. But that leads to a second reality. Not only are we a new creation, but with that new creation comes as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ a new calling, a new calling, an amazing gift of grace that we receive becomes a new calling. We suddenly have a new status, and with that new status comes a new calling. You have a new calling. Let's take a look at, at the next passage, verse 19 and 20, the next two verses. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, what are we? Here's our new calling. Therefore, we have this ministry of reconciliation, message of reconciliation. Therefore, what? We are ambassadors of God. Ambassadors for Christ. We're Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a new creation, experiencing the, 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 the power of, of Christ's righteousness in us and, and being a new creation, we have a new calling, and that new calling is to be those who help others hear about this message of reconciliation, ambassadors, ambassadors on Christ's behalf. As he makes his appeal to the world, wanting to reconcile the world to himself. As you've experienced the treasure of God's grace and the richness of his mercy and the wonderful feeling of being a new creation, there's a calling that we have to see others that we know and that we care about experience this same grace. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.18, going back to that, who through who Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I know that that I'm called to the ministry. It's become a vocational calling for me. But do you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to the ministry? You have a ministry. If If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation. You are called to the ministry. I didn't say I wanted to be called to the ministry. Well, if you said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're a minister. You're a minister. You are a minister of reconciliation. 
It's God's mission. God's mission becomes our mission. Verse 19, Paul writes that, that, that in Christ, God was not just reconciling us to himself. He was reconciling the entire world. How many know for God? John 3, 16. Come on, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world. God loves the world that he gave his one and only Son, that means that we who have been reconciled to Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. We have a new identity, a new creation with a new identity and a new calling. What's an ambassador? Well, generally speaking, as an ambassador, as a respected official acting uh, not on his own behalf, but a representative of another nation. He acts under the authority of that other nation. He acts on behalf of that other nation. He's not representing himself or his own interests. He's representing the interests of the nation from which he was sent to negotiate terms of peace, sent to a foreign land. That, that is the, the, the official position of that sovereign body. He represents that, and they're the ones that gave him the authority. What an image. Like an ambassador, as Paul uses it here, we're a representative from another country, from a heavenly country, right? Our citizenship, Paul writes, is where? In heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are representatives of God's kingdom. We are ambassadors of Christ. As though he was making his appeal to the world... Through us. How can they hear? Unless there is one who shares. You and I are messengers. We are messengers of the gospel. We're messengers of reconciliation. What is the idea of reconciliation? The terms between God and those who are at enmity with God. God has terms of peace. He says to those that are enemies of God, listen, there is a way in which we can be made right. Our relationship can be made right. We can become friends again. And the terms of that peace come through my son Jesus Christ who I made sin on your behalf so that you could be made righteous right with God and we are carriers of that message as those who have been recipients of that message we are carriers of that message to the world you say I don't know I mean can I really do that that seems intimidating do I, can I really do that well what is an ambassador an ambassador is one who goes under the authority of the country that he's been sent from, right? So you have this idea of authority. Well, look what Jesus said in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, there's that word, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go because you are going under the authority that I give to you. Think about the book of Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 3, following the day of Pentecost, Peter and John are on their way up to the temple for worship. And there at the gate, beautiful, is a, a man who has been lame and he is begging alms. 
he wants them to give him some money. And Peter, under the authority and unction of the Holy Spirit, looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately, there was, he began to get up and dance and, 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 and walk around and leap with joy and praise God. And all of a sudden, a crowd began to form, and Peter began to preach to them about Jesus. And the authorities at that time, those were the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious authorities, they took them aside and they arrested them, and they said, under whose name has given you this authority? Who gave you this authority? said, it's Jesus Christ whom you've crucified. Friends, as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, you and I have been given authority. We've been given a message of reconciliation. And with that, we have been given the authority and the power through the Holy Spirit. That we can take this message of reconciliation and those that are enemies of God, those that have found themselves like we were as enemies of God, separated from God by our sin, we have come to, to, to share the peace agreement between God and the world, saying God has come to reconcile the world to himself. He has come to make you a new creation. He has come because he has made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, on my behalf, that we might be reconciled to God. Come on now. You know, I open this message by talking a little bit about the idea of mission drift. I want to bring it back to that opening for a moment. Because I think that sometimes we can forget that when we're a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a Christian, that we think that being a Christian is just about being a nice person. That being a Christian is just about coming to church every week, doing nice things for people trying to have a good attitude, trying to, trying to, I, I want to I live by the word of God in the Bible. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's incomplete if in our new creation we do not also walk in our new calling. It's not just my job as pastor to share this message of reconciliation between God and and people with those that don't know him. It's not just my job. It is, it is the calling of every believer. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? When was the last time you shared with someone the fact that Jesus Christ forgave your sin and made you a new creation? When was the last time you shared with somebody that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world? See, the problem is, is that oftentimes as believers, we can drift from our calling as a new creation and Christ's ambassadors. So how do we keep reconciliation at the heart of who we are and what we do? How do we, how do we keep this idea of being a new creation and a new calling and, and keep ourselves from mission drift? Well, I want to share with you three practical things that come in some verses that surround these verses. Three, three things that as we dig back into this passage that, that practically can keep us from mission drift. 
How do we keep ourselves from mission drift? Well, I think the first area that we can do to keep us from mission drift is to make sure the love of Christ controls us. Make sure the love of Christ controls us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. This is Paul. For the love of Christ controls us. Pastor, where'd you get that point from? Right here, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, and those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The word compelled here is a very strong word. It's a strong word. In fact, one translation says, the love of Christ leaves me no other option but to live for him. That I have no other option. When I consider what Christ has done for me and his love poured out for me when I did not deserve it, I have no other option. I've got no other option. It leaves me no other option but to do what Christ says because the love of God compels me. It compels me. Jesus' love compels me. I'm not compelled by guilt. I'm not motivated by guilt. I'm not com compelled by fear. I'm compelled by the love that Jesus Christ poured out for me. Or to put it another way, those who have been forgiven much love much. I'm compelled by his love. In fact, one of the keys to keeping Christ's mission at the heart of our church is to keep the love of Jesus at the heart of our church. We've got to realize that, that, that loving others is, is really critical. We have no other choice but to live for him and the mission and to love one another. To love one another. Instead of living for ourselves, we live for the one who died in our place. In fact, there's one particular pastor, he, he advises this. He says, you think about the worst terrorist on the planet that our news and our country would have you despise. And the reality is that God desires that person's repentance. Kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? He goes on to say that, they, that he created that person in his own image. And just contemplate the immensity of his love for all. You think about your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family and people who live around you. God loves them all. Jesus loves them all. And Christ's death is sufficient for all. He loves them all. Friends, he loves them. That person that has hurt you, that you have a trouble forgiving, guess what? Christ loves them and desires for them to repent and be reconciled to him. It's his great love. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method is bitterness and chaos. But the aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of, a beloved, of the beloved community. Friends, love is powerful. It's a powerful motivation that Christ so loved us that he willingly gave his life that we might be reconciled to God. And when we, when we don't comprehend that love that God has for us, we have trouble loving others. We can agree that God loves the world, but sometimes I think we struggle with God loves me. Can I just pause for a moment on that? It's easy to think God loves the world. When we look at ourselves personally, we wrestle, does God love me? 
And when we don't recognize and can't receive Christ's love for us, we have trouble then loving one another, loving others. I mean, can you think about just the, the immensity of this? Think about God, right? This is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? That's who we're talking about, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who spoke and creation came in the being, the God who said, let there be light, and there was out of darkness. He spoke a word, and oceans and mountains suddenly appeared. He spoke a word and, and created animals, and, 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 and right now God is sustaining 7 billion plus people in the world, and on top of that, animals and planets and weather and insects, and all of that is being held up. Not a single detail does he miss, and yet it is that God that loves you. He loves you. Scripture says he knows every hair on your head. He loves you. Come on, he loves you. In fact, Romans 8, 38 and 39 put it this way. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in, or from, from the, excuse me, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whoo, meditate on that for a moment, Right? And let that love control you. Let that love compel you and control you. Secondly, make sure the gospel redefines us and therefore everyone around us. Be redefined by the gospel. Verses 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As I already shared, we're completely new in Christ Jesus. But with that, we are given a new heart. With that, we're given new motivation. With that, we're given new eyes to see. So rather than, than, than eyes that see critically and, and judge things simply according to the flesh we now put on lenses that allow us to th see things according to the spirit we are redefined and we begin to see things through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of how Jesus Christ views and sees the world as he puts a new heart in us we have a heart now that is his heart for the world no longer selfish but a heart that desires for everyone else to know Christ I like the illustration that C.S. Lewis uh, gave once. He said, imagine yourself as living as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, you can kind of understand what he's doing. Maybe he gets the drains right or, or stops the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed to be done. You're not surprised by that. I knew that needed to be fixed. Come on, there are things we know that need to be fixed. And I knew Christ would come in and, and, and he would do that. But then he goes on. He says, but, but presently, he starts knocking the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense and you think what on earth is he up to what are you doing this hurts ow why are you doing that why'd you take that wall down why'd you take that addition why are you building that why are you doing this I don't understand what what is going on and the explanation is is he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there running up towers making courtyards you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. 
because he intends to come and live in it himself. Woo, come on, new creation. Come on. Man, God's doing all of that. He's changing us, and he's changing how we see others as well. Paul says we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, we live in a culture that basically sizes people up. They, they look at your appearance, and do you measure up according to what we think your appearance ought to be? And they look at your success, and are you making, what kind of money are you making, and what kind of car do you drive, and what kind of home do you live in, and, and what kind of success have you had, and, and what kind of clothes do you wear? And we size each other up all the time, looking at, oh, how's your family, and what does your family look like, and what does this look like, and how is this, and what is this? And we size each other up according to the things of the flesh, or economic status, our power, our gender, our ethnicity, but no more. When Jesus gets a hold of us, we either begin to see people as in Christ or without Christ, because that is the most important thing. The most important thing is not the external, but it's the heart, and whether they have been reconciled to God, because we are ambassadors of Christ with a new calling. The gospel redefines us and redefines how we see the world around us. And it changes everything. And it leads to the last part, the last practical thing we can do to keep from mission drift. And that's to make sure that God's mission consumes us. That God's mission consumes us. That it redefines us and everyone else around us. That his mission consumes us. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though Christ was making, God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friends, I implore you, let the mission of being an ambassador for Christ consume you. Again, you are authorized on behalf of Christ and behalf of his kingdom to let others know of the peace agreement that Christ desires to have with them that he's had with you. If we gently just make, you know, suggestions, that's not enough. There's a word here, implore. Implore. We implore you. The word implore means to beg for something that's indispensable, to urge something. There's an urgency to the message that we have that needs to be delivered. It's a mission that God has given us and that should consume us. So I want to close with this, and worship team, will you come? We're in danger, friends, of mission drift. We must keep the central mission of Christ in front of us, which is reconciliation. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And therefore, because we are righteous in Christ, we are no longer enemies of God, but friends of God. That mission ought to consume us. That mission of reconciliation ought to be on our tongue, ought to be an encouragement. And as I close this message and we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to just close with just a few questions today a few questions today and and i want you to ask the holy spirit to search your heart ask the holy spirit to search your heart to respond with the message of what has been done second corinthians 6 2 says this it says in a favorable time i've listened to you in the day of salvation i have helped you behold now is the favorable time now is the day of salvation so let me ask you the first question have you been reconciled to god 
Have you yourself been reconciled to God? Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.